The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, welcome to The Bolt Zone. This is a competitive magic podcast for the average spike, co-hosted by me, Cody DeBose, and the former PT champion and magic world champion, Nathan Stoyer. We're bringing you the best tips, tricks, and strategies to improve your game and be a better player. And today, Nathan and I are joined by a very special guest. We have Brandon Osborne, aka Control for Days, on the show, and we're going to be talking about Modern's premier creature combo deck, Yawgmoth. But Brandon, before we do that, how are you doing today? I am excellent and very happy to be here. So thank you for well, having we me. We are happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to come on. We uh, had a really great time a few months ago with Travis Brown talking about Hammer Time. And I know Nathan and I are both looking forward to doing the same today with Yogmoth. I think that one thing that I love about doing these episodes is just getting a perspective on someone who, you know, has a ton of experience with one archetype and gotten to almost reach a level of mastery as someone who tries to play a little bit of everything and just adjust based on a given weekend, it's almost vital to be able to, you know, chat with someone who is very experienced with an archetype and get their thoughts firsthand, just so you can try to translate that information. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective on playing with the Ogmoth and also just how you as a player think about magic in general. And uh, I definitely fill that role in terms of a, a specialist. I've never been a jump over the all over the place kind of player. I usually pick to a deck and stick with it. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to rock. Let's do it. Awesome. How long have you been playing the deck? Uh, I started about a little over two years, two and a half years now. Um, I was trying to get back into modern because I had just moved and uh, was looking for a deck that I could stick with, as we just said. And uh, I first picked up Dredge just because it was a low cost of entry. And Won a bunch with that, with the intent of using my winnings to purchase another deck. And Yawgmoth, I saw Demonic Tutors streaming quite a bit with it, and the deck appealed to me. Uh, so I started buying into it, and the rest is history. All right, well, look at you now. Yeah. Uh, so today in the in the show, we're going to be talking all about Yawgmoth, doing a deep dive into this archetype, looking at some of the key cards, how it falls in the modern meta at the time of this recording, and uh, also some tips to level up your play and sort of squeeze the most equity you can out of this deck. So stay tuned for all of that. But before we dive in, we have to give a couple of shout outs. Thanks so much to everyone who takes the time to listen and support the show. We appreciate uh, hearing from you and all the support and uh, a special thank you to several new subscribers on both Spotify and Apple podcasts, as well as some people who have interacted with uh, the Spotify question prompts over the last few weeks. That's great. We like to hear from you there and a huge shout out to David Chen for becoming the latest patron here at the bolt zone. And if you like the show, you want to help rep the brand, we have some new merch over at boltthebirdmtg.com slash shop. We have uh, hats, hoodies, t-shirts, about everything you can think of. So head over there, pick up some merch. And if you do, be sure to tag us on Twitter with the hashtag BoltZoneChat so we can see you wearing it in the wild. You can also support the show through our Patreon, and we'll put a link for that in the show notes. Before we dive into Yawgmoth discussion, um, 
let's sort of just catch up for a second. Nathan, it's been a minute since you and I have had a chance to chat. What have you sort of been up to in the magic world? Yeah, it has been. I think going into this new year, you know, there's always this awkward pro play break when it comes to between, I would say, November and December, like the last few months and start of January before there's, you know, a big event to get ready for in the circuit. And right now I've just picked up full steam ahead, getting ready for the next pro tour, which I'm super excited about. I took a little bit of time off just to sort of recalibrate for the holidays. And that was a nice little break. You know, one thing that's really important I wanted to quickly discuss is it's really easy to just get into a monotonous pattern of I'm just going to wake up and play magic all day and grind and try to test as much as I can. But for me, I sort of found myself facing a bit of a grind where, uh, oh, wow, this is like too much for me. I've like put a lot of energy into playing the entire year and I just needed to take some time for myself. And so taking some time in December to sort of reset was super helpful for me. And then at this point, I'm feeling like really good going into Pioneer for the uh, Pro Tour. I and Team Handshake have been putting a lot of time into learning the new archetypes, uh, especially trying some of the new cards. Um, (laughs) One program that I've been especially practicing on is Cockatrice, which maybe people are familiar with, but learning how to navigate the this unfamiliar program for me has been like a high learning curve of I'm going to test the new cards on this uh, tabletop simulator. And so that's been what I've been up to the past few weeks, just grinding away at Cockatrice with my teammates and getting familiar with all the new archetypes in Pioneer. So looking forward to that event in Chicago next month. And I hope to see people there at MagicCon. But yeah, it's been an awesome experience so far. That'll be great. How about you, Brandon? Anything, uh, anything special for you in the magic world right now? Um, So I am not qualified for RC Denver. Uh, I played in one paper event last year. uh, So I I didn't play in any RCQs to prepare or to qualify for that event. So my mission over the last couple of weeks and months has been helping others qualify or or, uh, optimize their qualifications so that they can succeed at that event. So uh, my patrons, my YouTube subscribers, I have just been grinding, trying to get as much content out there as possible uh, so they can dominate that tournament and get to the Pro Tour. Yeah, well, that's that's exciting. I, I fall in that category for you. And uh, the content you've been putting out on Patreon over the last few weeks has been really helpful. And again, I'm really excited to, to have you on today and be in a coaching session with you next week. So lots of Yagmoth talk for me. I'm uh, very excited to play this deck in Denver in a few weeks. So Let's get into it. Uh, Brandon, if you want to just start, sort of tell us about yourself. We, we heard about your background with the deck a little bit, but um, anything else you want to you sort of let us know before we start talking about the good doctor here? Yeah. Uh, so I started playing Magic a long, long time ago, uh, around the time of fourth edition. And, uh, you know, I, I competed on the Junior Super Series circuit when I was a kid, which was something that was really cool, but they don't have it anymore, unfortunately. Like many people, I took a hiatus from the game for a period of time. And when I came back, I really fell into Legacy because it reminded me a lot of the formats I was playing when I was a kid. So I became a bit of a specialist in Legacy. A lot of people knew me for my prowess with the deck Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Um, I had some pretty good success with the deck. I, I wound up winning two Star City events with that deck. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed playing and I really enjoyed the Legacy scene in the community. Um, but when COVID hit, uh, obviously a lot of 
a lot of magic kind of went out the window for a lot of people. And that's what happened with me and my, my legacy play. And it wasn't until I moved and was looking to kind of integrate into the community in a new area that I, that I picked up modern. And since then, I've had a lot of success with Yawgmoth. A lot of people might not know my name because I don't play a lot of events. I don't get the chance to play a lot of challenges or paper events. But when I do, uh, I'm very proud of my results and that they're very consistent. I have never not top 32 to challenge. And uh, I played one paper event last year and I won it. So I'm pretty happy with, with those results with the deck. Who needs to play a lot if you just win all the ones you do? <laughs> just just spike it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you on and talk about this deck. So I guess let's start out just sort of for people who aren't super familiar. We we talk, you know, this, this show is for folks who are playing competitively and who are engaged with these formats. So, you know, we assume that everyone has sort of at least some understanding and or some recognition of of Yawgmoth in this deck. But for those who don't know the archetype really well, sort of just give us a high level introduction to it and you know what this deck's trying to accomplish in the format. Yeah, so Yawgmoth is a a lot of people classify it as a creature combo based strategy, which it is. Um, but a lot of times it operates more as a mid-range strategy. Um, so I would say First and foremost, when you're playing the deck, you should consider it that, uh, a mid-range deck that grinds really well over the long game and can generate a lot of card advantage over the course of a game, whether that's through planeswalkers slash creatures, depending on where it is in which zone it's in, or through the, the deck's namesake, Yawgmoth Thran Physician. And then there is kind of a, an instant win button when you can assemble a couple of different uh, components, which include Yawgmoth two undying creatures, and either a Blood Artist or a Zulaport Cutthroat. And then that component can kind of be swapped out for everybody's favorite four drop across every format, which is Shieldred, the uh, the Apocalypse. And that also serves uh, to fulfill a combo role within the deck because you can essentially gain infinite life with the card uh, and just an insurmountable advantage as well. Yeah, there's a ton of different lines in this deck. And I think that's one of the things that has drawn me to it. It's just, you know, there's so many different ways to sort of manipulate what you're doing and, and interact with the opponent and, and, you know, toolbox creatures out of your deck. Like there's just so many different things about it that it, it makes for really interesting gameplay. Right. I mean, one thing about the Yawgmoth deck that I've observed is you mentioned it's more of like a mid range deck than like a primarily a combo deck. And we see that shift play out with just like the new cards that have slotted into it in the past year or so with, Orcish Bowmasters and Agatha Soul Cauldron being central parts of that where they just allow you to have this grind button as a natural part of your plan that slots in extremely well. I would love to hear some thoughts on like, how has this deck changed? I mean, you've talked about playing this deck for a little while now, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on like, where was this deck a few years ago versus how do you view this deck now? Yeah, it has changed immensely since I first started playing it. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, when I first picked up the deck, uh, it was essentially a matter of assembling the combo, and that was kind of your end game. There was, I think I, my initial list had two Grist, the Hunger tied in the list, which now is just no question of four of in the deck. Uh, there were two Drolf's Messengers in the deck, which was the initial win con that a lot of people used when the deck was first uh, created. I believe it was Tom Ross and Aaron Barrich that came up with the deck originally. It was four Drolf's Messengers down to two, down to one, and then it just got cut all together. 
uh, in a very aggressive format. You can't afford to have your creatures coming on t- uh, into play tapped. And uh, since then, especially the last year, it has really moved in that more mid-range direction with Bowmasters and Cauldron. Um, Cauldron does add a lot of extra combo lines to the deck as well, but it's just a card. If you get a Grist under a Cauldron, the deck just, it will outgrind you real, real fast. Can you talk about how that specific interaction works for those who aren't super familiar with it? Because I view that as like maybe the coolest interaction your deck can pull off without outright winning the game. <laughs> yeah, it's so there's there's a, a bunch of different angles depending on how your deck is built that you can leverage with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. But the big one is basically you can eat a Grist the Hunger Tide out of your graveyard and bestow a plus one plus one counter on one of your creatures to essentially turn them into a Grist the Hunger Tide. And when you have a deck with Orcish Bowmasters, uh, you probably already have creatures in play that have plus one, plus one counters. And in addition to that, the undying creatures that are in the deck, if they die, they come back with plus one, plus one counters. So oftentimes when you're eating a creature with your cauldron, right off the bat, you have two, three, four Grist the Hunger Tides in play when you're consuming it with the cauldron. So that means immediately you get to make several insects and if the soul cauldron sticks around you could even threaten to sack creatures and kill their board and i mean it goes from one turn you have a soul cauldron under grist to your board being massive if they don't kill that or threaten to kill you somehow and it's that's like the ultimate like oh my gosh my board has 10 permanents on it immediately i mean good luck grinding through this which i love to see when i've played some yawgmoth recently and that interaction kind of blew my mind when i initially saw it yeah, the deck can turn a corner very, very quickly with Cauldron. Uh, you really don't need a lot of resources to go off with the card, so to speak. And it's uh, it has added an extra wrinkle, and it makes it much harder to play against as a result. I know from the scam side, like when Cauldron got introduced, you know, you just now all of a sudden have this dilemma of like, <laughs> do I even want them to discard this Grist? Like, is it better for them to just have one versus four Grists, you know? Yeah, that and attacking into it as well. It's like, okay, are they holding a yeah. cauldron in their hand? Are they baiting me to to put this thing in the graveyard? Because it can get a lot worse really quickly if you do. Absolutely. And I know that's one big thing that you talk about is, is setting traps. And that's a way to sort of level up with this deck. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, before we do that, though, let's sort of talk about some of the flex slots for this deck. Because for the most part, you know, at this point, the deck list is pretty stock and you know there's a few slots that that you know you have a, a one or two sort of choice um as far as like mana dorks and in the combo element and then there's some other pieces that you know people are running you know a select few main deck creatures versus um ones being relegated to the sideboard so let's just sort of run through a couple of these and i want to hear your thoughts on them let's start with maybe the the easiest one and blood artist versus zulaport cutthroat for that combo element yeah, the easiest one, but the one that probably generates the most conversation and tension within the Yawgmouth community, because people are very opinionated, myself included. Um, so I was a big proponent for a long time that Blood Artist was just superior to Zulaport Cutthroat. The big difference between the two cards is Blood Artist is going to trigger off of your opponent's creatures. So when your opponent's creatures die, Blood Artist triggers, targets your opponent, and drains and gains for one. Uh, Zulaport only triggers off your creatures, but it doesn't target 
and it has a point of power, which is relevant more so now than it was previously since uh, Bowmasters has entered the format. The biggest thing or the biggest consideration between the two cards, it's it's essentially a metagame call at this point. Uh, if you expect to be playing against a lot of creature-based strategies, Blood Artist tends to excel and tends to be a better card, especially if the format's very aggressive. Uh, gaining those points of life against a deck like Rhinos or Burn off your opponent's creatures dying is a really big upside. Zulaport, the reason why this card has become more played recently is two reasons. One, the deck is now playing Pendlehaven, which it did not previously. Um, and this happened when, when Bowmasters entered the format. So not only can you pr- protect your combo piece with the Pendlehaven, uh, if they try to target it with a Bowmaster, but additionally, uh, you can pump it and attack in with it or, or anything like that. The, the big thing with Zulaport is it doesn't target. So in a f- format where the ring is really prominent and really prevalent, uh, this gets around the ring trigger and you can still combo kill with them having that protection. So right now I lean a little bit more in the direction of Zulaport for those latter reasons, um, but I go back and forth and could go back and forth depending on what metagame I expect to see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The next one, let's talk about uh, Hepatra Vizier of Poisons and this two drop that also is sort of contentious and I know you have a certain opinion about it, but tell us a little bit about that one. I think Hepatra is probably the coolest card that this deck has the the capability of playing. Uh, Hepatra is a... So for people who might not be familiar with the card, every time I cast this card, all of my cards are in Japanese. It's a guaranteed judge call when I ca- cast Hepatra. <laughs> judge, what the heck does this card do? <laughs> um, but Hepatra is basically a two drop. And every time a counter, a minus one, minus one counter is put on a creature, it can be your creature or an opponent's creature by one of your sources, uh, you create a 1-1 Death Touch Snake. So Hepatra has an immense amount of synergy with Yawgmoth because you're putting minus one, minus one counters on your opponent's creatures or on your creatures. And every time you do that, you get to generate an extra creature out of that interaction. The upside of Hepatra is it doesn't require your graveyard to, to utilize. So you can combo kill with Hepatra without needing to access your graveyard with Undying Creatures, which is really powerful for this deck to have access to. And against a deck like Amulet Titan, it just, you have Hepatra, Yawgmoth, and one other creature, your Titans are laughable. I'm just going to mow them down, uh, machine gun mode, as we call it, uh, <laughs> with Hepatra. So it's a really powerful effect to have in your deck against creature-based strategies and decks that are targeting your graveyard. The problem with Hepatra is it's a 2-2. Uh which a lot of times you're not going to connect, especially the format right now. It's pretty creature dense, I would say, for the most part. So you don't always have the opportunity to swing through and trigger Hepatra. It also triggers when you connect um, and deal damage to an opponent. So you don't always get that opportunity to do so. And the, the removal in the format is super efficient, whether it's Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt, uh, Unholy Heat, Hepatra is susceptible to all of them. So my current deck list, I've actually opted to cut Hepatra, and I've played Hepatra quite a bit and for a long time. But I think just the way the metagame sits right now, more times than not, when you have Hepatra in play, uh, you don't get to live the dream and uh, experience the upside of the card. It just kind of bites the dust. So 
for that reason, I've opted for a little bit more consistency with a second strangle root Geist in my list or a fourth bow master, depending on, you know, how you want to slice it. Uh, but Hepatra is definitely a very powerful card. When you're playing with Yawgmoth, you have the opportunity to look at so many cards, given that you have effectively five copies when you play a one of with Court of Calling. And so I wanted to highlight that when you have such a wide toolbox and you cut a card like Hepatra, yes, you might not have access to that card when comboing. But the question for me is like, how often were you realistically getting this card, Hepatra, versus another better option for your either finisher or having that be like your uh, card that you want when you're trying to grind your opponent? Because that seems to be a big determinant of Yawgmoth as you've gotten less flex slots and more, I have to play this card, it's so powerful type effects. Yeah, thank you, Orcish Bowmasters, for that one. <laughs> but... uh yeah, that was the experience that I had leading up to cutting the card from my list. I was very tuned into how it was performing over the span of about a month. And it was, you know, I, I play a lot on Moto with Yawgmoth because I'm producing content. So, you know, over the course of probably one, two, three hundred matches, I just found Tapatra being more of a liability than an asset. And it was very infrequent that I was actually tutoring for it and using it for that upside. Uh, and I've I've noticed in observing other people stream with the deck as well. I think people remember the good times and forget the bad times. And to me, I mean, it's just a, a lightning rod most of the time uh, if it's in your hand, and you you don't always have those instances. Uh, when you do, they feel great, but it doesn't come up as much as I think people tend to think it does. Yeah, and I think that one thing that this deck does really well is like not presenting a lot of lightning rods, you know, in other than like, you know, the maybe the one mana dorks and stuff, but like the creatures with undying just says, okay, fatal push cool, you know, <laughs> like uh so in some degree maybe minimizing that is important. But so you're playing the second strangle root geist, which is a, an interesting card that unlocks some other like combo lines with cauldron, mm-hmm. can attack really well, resistant to removal and stuff. So tell us your thoughts on that one. Stranglerood's an interesting card because previously we thought of it as like, it, it was uncuttable, right? It was four Young Wolves, four Stranglerood Geist. That was the undying package within the deck. And Geist was always really important in matchups where your opponents were playing Planeswalkers, whether it was Karn the Great Creator, Teferi, Renin Six. You needed a threat that you could put down and pressure those Planeswalkers uh, or just get them off the board altogether. Um, so a very common line of play was Renin Six, they minus kill one of your mana dorks, and then you follow up with a, a strangle root and kill the Renin Six. But with the way the format stands right now, Planeswalkers aren't super popular. Uh, the four-color Omnath deck does run them, but not a lot of people play four-color Omnath, especially after Beans was banned and, and Fury was banned. So Geist isn't as important as it once was, and Bowmaster is just such a good value card that it takes those slots and steals from, you know, Geists 3 and 4. But the card is still really powerful in its interaction with Yawgmoth and other Undying creatures, and it does have synergies with Cauldron that Young Wolf does not, in that if you put a mana creature under your Cauldron, the Geist can start producing mana, you can sacrifice it, bring it back, add more mana, and you can essentially add infinite mana with Geist, uh, depending on how much life you have. Especially, I, I didn't really know about that interaction, but that's cool to hear. Especially when you have like 
Yawgmoth going and you just want to try to get something going like on that turn to kill them, that seems like a great way of like getting ahead just by, okay, every single time I do this loop, I pay a life, I add one mana, like I'm going to, I'm bound to find some way of killing you this turn at that point, right? It's pretty hard to, to not do so. Yeah, generally what happens in that instance too is you're going to draw into more, whether it's one drops or wall of roots, and then the mana that Geist is generating, you're able to cast those things out, and then that feeds into minusing the Geist and then resetting the loop, and it just it fuels itself a lot of times. Wow, that's sweet. <laughs> I think my favorite line with that is the, like you have a, a dork and a ballista under the cauldron, and then you just like keep pinging the Geist, making mana, and then you can add infinite counters it's so there's so many cool things you can do with it but speaking of speaking of the mana dorks obviously almost every deck now has the the four of delighted halfling so good with with grist and yogmoth and cauldron being able to cast those legendary spells without uh, risk of them being countered and also being a one two protects it from bowmasters. but a lot of decks are also playing one to two extra one mana dorks um some contention there between ignoble hierarch uh gilded goose i know you uh also have an opinion on this so what are your thoughts on the the extra mana dorks yeah i so initially i thought that the you didn't want to shave down on mana dorks too far uh you know the deck used to play eight so it was four birds of paradise four ignoble hierarchs and then gradually over time we shifted down to seven and then when i'm trying to think Back. I think it was after Lord of the Rings came out, a lot of people cut down to six, and some people have been shaved down to five. Um, Bowmaster obviously destroys any 01 mana dork, so you, you don't necessarily want that as a liability. My current list, I run one Ignoble Hierarch instead of a Gilded Goose in that slot. And the reason being is just because you do want to be able to accelerate in some matchups. Amulet Titan, um, Tron, having access to an extra mana dork to be able to get out of the gates quicker is really important in those sorts of matchups. But a lot of times it is just going to, to eat a bolt or eat a, a bowmaster. So you don't want to have too many or glut your deck with those sorts of cards. The good thing, the upside, is you can just eat it with a cauldron, put it on another creature, and start creating mana in that fashion. Um, but it is very vulnerable. So I opt for Ignoble um, just because it's a little bit more consistent of a producer in the matchups you want it than Gilded Goose. Um, but there is some debate. Uh, obviously, Gilded Goose, you have the ability to gain life against matchups like Burn or Prowess. That's that's upside. But you only get to use it once. So as you'll see, you know, a theme with the way I build my deck, I opt for more consistent cards as opposed to going the high road with uh, you know the potential upside of cards in the late game. That makes a lot of sense. So talking about that again now, there's a lot of uh, different you know sort of configurations with the deck where people uh, are filling these flex slots with one-ofs. And uh, the one I want to talk about first, because it's not a creature, and then we can talk about the creatures, um, and we've seen it less and less recently, is, is Eldritch Evolution. Um, thoughts on this card as an extra way to, you know, tutor out of the deck alongside cord yay or nay so if you asked me this six months ago i would have said yay but the thing is what i've found you know once again with hundreds if not thousands of matches of play in between then and now you don't actually need the card it's and that's the big reason why i've cut it from my lists maintaining a win rate over 75 or 80 percent 
uh, in a fairly competitive atmosphere without playing the card, to me, that data suggests that the card isn't necessary. In addition to that, the fact that scam is a very prominent part of the metagame, Merktide, for better or for worse, continues to be well represented in the metagame, uh, despite maybe the, the results that it puts up. And evolution is a huge liability in those sorts of matchups. Scam, they're going to rip your hand apart, and you're going to be sitting there with a court of calling an Eldritch Evolution and no creatures. And Merktide, the chances of resolving something like that against them is so slim that oftentimes it's it's just sits there the entire game. So, you know, once again, because of, uh, of how consistent I think the deck is without the card, I don't think it's something that you need to bog your deck down playing. And it, it's always been the worst card in the deck for as long as I've played the deck. And uh, I just don't think we need it anymore. Would you say that a big part of the weakness comes from getting rid of large cop, large numbers of strangle root geist or just having less undying creatures? Or do you think just generally it's not that strong and as stronger cards get added to the shell, it's like an obvious cut? I'm curious to hear like if you think the structural changes to the deck make a large part in that card being obsolete now. That definitely had a, a big impact. So one of the biggest upsides of the card was turn one mana dork into turn two either grist or post sideboard getting something like a magus of the moon against tron or amulet um, but now that the density of mana dorks is decreased that line is not as important or not as available to us and then turn two having access to a geist was was a play that you would probably make in 40 or 50 percent of your games and now <laughs> that number has decreased pretty significantly so not only do you have less ability to cast the Evo on turn two, you also have less of a chance of sacrificing a Geist to the Evo to find a Yawgmoth and still having a threat on the board to utilize with Yawgmoth or with Shieldred, which is also a fairly common line. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, especially when your undying creatures are young wolves now that like you want to get a four. Most of the time you want to get Yawgmoth and your deck functionality is just like not as high when your Eldritch Evolutions are mostly just tutoring for Gris if you're sacking a Young Wolf. And so makes sense to move away from a card like that, especially like you said, in like a counterspell heavy metagame, like you really don't want to open yourself up to vulnerabilities by trading down on mana like that. Yeah, you can't sideboard that card out fast enough in those sorts of matchups. So. <laughs> All right, before we talk about the next creature, Bran, you mentioned uh, your your win rate in that over sort of a lot of games. I want to give you a minute to brag for a second if you want to. <laughs> You've been on a, on a crazy tear lately. That's where this a lot of this perspective is coming from. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, playing Yawgmoth for two and a half years, I've had some pretty pretty epic runs with the deck rattling off. My, my current record was 23 wins in a row with the deck. So four straight five O's and then losing the fifth one, uh, which is still where I am with the deck. But... Over the last month, I went on, I don't know, the. I think it was a 68-3 and three run on Moto, which was, I think, 11 out of 13 leagues I 5-0'd, and the other two that I didn't 5-0 were 4-1s. And one of those 4-1s was because I timed out while I was combo killing uh, against Amalia combo in Modern for whatever reason. So, yeah, I've been on a bit of a heater. It's cooled off the last couple of days, I will say that. Uh, but prior to, to filming this, it was, it was crazy. It was surreal. It was, you know, I don't know if you guys 
watch or play sports at all, but in basketball, sometimes they'll talk about like the basket feels as big as a lake. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it, kind of how it felt. It kind of felt like I couldn't can't, lose. Just can't lose. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. like an extremely dominant performance. And is this kind of just due to the metagame being in favor of Yawgmoth right now, coupled with you being just a very strong pilot of the deck? Or do you think that it's just kind of been a trend for a while? Like Yawgmoth's one of the top decks and you're understanding all the lines to a degree in which like other people aren't able to navigate as opponents against you. Like that's a pretty unheard of streak in general, even if you're playing leagues where maybe the opposition isn't as strong and, you know, how, how do you think that sort of run came about? Like what happened leading up to uh, you dominating? I will say, I've said this for a long time, I think in the hands of the, the correct person, this is and, and has been one of the best decks in the format for years. And I think people have slept on it because it's hard to pilot correctly. And the maybe people didn't devote enough sideboard slots or it wasn't represented enough within the metagame to get that respect. But uh, to be honest, I mean, I chalk it up. I mean, obviously, I have to get lucky to pull 69 out of 72 matches. That's just insane. But the deck is tier one right now, without question, in my mind. I think there are three decks that are on top of the format, uh, Rhinos, Scam, and Yawgmoth. And my experience with the deck, I'm playing against people who are playing Yawgmoth as well, who don't have, you know, three or 4,000 matches of experience. So uh, it's pretty easy for me to leverage that experience. And, you know, as uh, Cody mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, set traps and, and make people play in the way that I want to. And just having that amount of experience, a lot of times I know what my opponent's going to do before they do it. I know what cards are in their hand. I know what they're trying to set up and what they're trying to do. And for that reason, I can leverage that to get wins in spots where people who with less experience might not have have seen or know to make certain sorts of plays. So luck and experience, I would chalk it up to. <laughs> that's so important though, with any deck And like Nathan, I know that's something you're really good at too, as far as like, you know, be able to read someone's hand and kind of predict what they want to do. It's, it's just such an important skill to work on. Right. I mean, one thing I always talk about is like, as you get more experienced with a format and have especially really high deck knowledge, you can get to a point where you understand what play sequences actually matter from the opponents. And when you get that down to such a narrow degree of like, these things matter, these things don't, I can focus on this small category and try to attack that range. You gain a huge edge, especially in a format like modern where sequences are certainly like, there are some cards that matter against Yawgmoth pretty specifically. And if you pay attention to those cards, you gain a really huge edge in gameplay. One question I also had that came up while you were talking is like, you're probably the best person to ask, how do you attack Yawgmoth as well? And I wanted to hear a little bit about that because to me, experts also have the capacity to say, well, if I'm playing this deck, I know that I'm weak to these things and you as someone who's playing against it can get better. So how can we take you down, Brandon? Can I decline <laughs> an answer on that question? On that question? <laughs> yeah, wait till after Denver at least. Yeah, let's, let's not leak the secrets. Exactly. So, so the biggest... Uh, way that people are attacking Yawgmoth right now is through the use of Cursed Totem in their sideboard. And I think there's a very clear two directions, uh, or the impact of the card is 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 bifold in that certain decks, they use it, and it's 
fairly effective against Yawgmoth. Whereas there are other decks that use it and it is completely ineffective against Yawgmoth. And there's a reason for that. The biggest thing is that if you're playing a strategy, particularly Urza Saga-based strategy, and you're bringing Cursed Totem against Yawgmoth, you're inviting yourself to get blown out against Yawg. And the reason being is because we have Force of Vigor in our sideboard, two to three copies. So if your strategy to fight Yawgmoth on an artifact-based deck is to use Cursed Totem, that is not an effective strategy and you need to rethink your approach. That's my personal opinion. If you're playing a deck where Force of Vigor is not a card we're bringing in against you, um, so something like Scam, for instance, and you can attack my hand and play a Cursed Totem, whereas like my way of, of getting back in the game is using Yawgmoth's activated ability or a Cauldron on one of my creatures and, and you know Grist uptaking with all of my creatures, if you're using it in a matchup like that, you're going to have much more success with the card. So that's probably the most powerful card against the strategy, but you need to utilize it in the right deck to have it be maximally effective. Yeah, in my experience too, I found that like Cursed Totem, everyone's like, oh yeah, it shuts off Yawgmoth, but turning off all your mana dorks and like Wall of Roots and stuff too, like that that also hurts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not being able to ramp out, but I will say, you know, and maybe this is a, a kind of a, a lead into a card we're going to talk about in a little bit. Modern is, there's a lot of tempo and there's a lot of downside to playing a card on turn two or turn three that doesn't actually impact the board or doesn't, you know, doesn't kill something or doesn't provide you with a blocker or a body. So a lot of times with Yogg, the way the deck is built now, you know, we have a lot of creatures that don't have activated abilities too. I have Grist, uh, which can pump out creatures. I have Stranglerute. I have Bowmasters. I have Shieldred, Endurance, you know, all these things. You can just turn them sideways. And a lot of times you doing nothing on turn two gives me the opportunity to just beat you down. And that works too. Yeah, back to the like, this deck is a mid-range deck at heart that can combo sometimes, but yeah. it doesn't have to. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about that. You just mentioned Endurance and Shieldred. I had said earlier, there's, you know, quite a few options for one ofs in this deck. So, you know, we have those. We have Haywire Might that's kind of been in and out. Tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are on these one of slots that, you know, are, are nice to have in the main deck versus, you know, exclusively from the sideboard. The the biggest reason to run some of these cards in the main deck is to to free up slots in your sideboard. And because we have, you know, tutors, whether you're running Eldritch Evolution or not, or you have Court of Callings, you know, these one of copies, you have access to them. They're really important in certain matchups. And you have extra room in your sideboard to add other silver bullets or other answers for other cards in other matchups, like Reclamation for Sage, for instance, in the sideboard. Endurance, I would say, is the coolest out of the three of these cards because it synergizes really, really nicely with the deck in that there's a couple of different lesser known lines that you can take with the card that allow you to leverage your cards even more so. So you can evoke an endurance, use it to pay the convoke on your court of calling, and then let's say you get a Yawgmoth, you can sacrifice it after the Yawgmoth's in play to Yawgmoth to get essentially you're at, you're at parity with regards to cards um, from the use of endurance. Uh, you can evoke an endurance and then with Hepatra in play, target the endurance and draw four cards. Uh, if you have Yawgmoth in play. And Endurance is also really nice as a combo trick if you have an Undying creature uh, 
I don't know if I said, did I say combo or combat combat trick uh, with Yogg and Undying Creature in play where you can flash it in during combat, put a minus one counter on your Undying Creature to, you know, mess up their combat math and, and play around a little bit. It also used to, if you have two in the deck and you have a, another way to gain life, like a Shieldred, you can just loop them and get, draw your whole deck. Uh, and it's pretty much deterministic at that point. You draw into a Court of Calling, shuffle your graveyard back into your deck, and then cord for your win con and kill them. Uh, so there's a lot of really crazy lines that you can leverage with Endurance. Uh, so that's the coolest one, in my opinion. Shieldred <laughs> is just a crazy mid-range card that's just crazy value on its own. And then it also, you can gain infinite life with it, Yawgmoth and two Undying Creatures. And then the last one, Haywire Might, it's mostly just to free up room in the, slot, the sideboard. It's not needed, uh, but it does come in handy. Matchups like Titan, any Saga deck, Hardened Scales. It's nice to have access to that when, you, when you're in a pinch. Sure, that makes sense. All right, I don't want to spend too much longer in this section because we have a, a lot of other stuff to talk about, but I, would, I do want to ask you, before we talk about a, a new card that we just learned about a few days ago, uh, mm-hmm. Walking Ballista, this one also like really surged when Cauldron came out just because of the different combo lines that it unlocks. What are your thoughts on that card? I know you haven't been running it lately. Do you see it as just sort of like a win more or again, something, you know, the deck doesn't need, what are your thoughts on that? Deck definitely doesn't need it. Uh, I can confidently say that it is, it does open up a lot of lines with cauldron in particular. So that's the pro Uh, there's, there's multiple different combo routes. You can go with ballista under a cauldron, whether it's you have, List under Cauldron, an Undying Creature, and a Blood Artist in play. You can just repetitively ping your own Undying Creature to trigger the Blood Artist and kill them. Uh, or if you have Wall of Roots and Ballista under the Cauldron, you can add a mana with Wall of Roots ability on an Undying Creature and then ping your opponent, and the creature will come back and you can just loop that. So it does open up new lines that are a little bit faster, I would say, than setting up the Yawgmoth combo. But the con is that Walking Ballista on its own is a pretty mediocre card in our deck. Yeah. And instead, for, personally, I opted to put Shieldred in that slot because it's just more powerful on its own. And it synergizes with our combo as well. So it's a matter of preference. Some people also play Spike Feeder, which does the same thing as Ballista, but it gains infinite life. Once again, Shieldred gains life, and it's just a powerful card on its own. So that's the direction I lean in, but both are fine cards to play in the strategy if you have room for them. It sounds like you're saying that, you know, to optimize for a higher floor than always going for the ceiling. Yeah, and as we talked about earlier, that's kind of the direction I build my deck in. Uh, just for maximum consistency is really what I'm, I'm looking for, um, as opposed to, you know, finding those those feel-good moments. Yeah, that makes sense. The last card we wanted to talk about was Insidious Roots, the new card spoiled um, from Murders at Karlov Manor. And for those not familiar with this card, it's an enchantment for black and a green that says, creature tokens you control if tap, add one mana of any color. But it also has another ability, which can be particularly good in Yawgmoth, that says, whenever one or more creatures leave your graveyard, create a zero one green plant, and then you can put a counter on each plant you control, which... <laughs> obviously can get out of control pretty quickly with some of the interactions in the deck. Um, what do you think of this new card and potentially its role in the Yawgmoth deck? Well, I am super, super excited to test this card. 
Um, I am just to put it out there, card evaluation is not my strong suit. Uh, so while I think this card is really cool and could find a spot in the deck, I could be completely wrong. <laughs> I've been wrong before. I'm really good at tweaking and tuning decks, but initially evaluating card, not the thing I'm best at. But with that being said, I think this card is like one line of text off of being just completely broken. If it had an ETB, like make a plant, it would be no questions that's in the deck. The fact that, you know, kind of as we alluded earlier with Cursed Totem being a liability sometimes, the fact that it doesn't do anything the turn it enters play is my biggest concern. And I think there's a chance it doesn't make the cut and doesn't show up in numbers for that reason. Um, but with that being said, it does have combo potential with the deck. So you only need one Undyre in play to combo with this card. It does ramp mana. Uh, if you have, let's say, a Colony Garden, which is one of the flex lands in the deck, or a Grist, or a Bowmaster, you can use those tokens to generate mana, which is really nice. So it can help from a consistency standpoint. And it synergizes with all those cards I just mentioned, and also with Cauldron and your Undyers. So you can eat a card with Cauldron. You'll get a Plant, which will have a 1-1 counter on it which also synergizes with Cauldron, and potentially you'll have another creature. So that's, you know, we talked about Grist upside earlier. If you're eating a Grist there, that's just crazy. So I think there's potential. I'm eager to test. I think if it does make the cut, it's probably one or two copies. Uh, I could see it being a, a one of in the deck, just because it's something you don't necessarily want in the early game, but in the late game, it can just churn so much value. Uh, and if you have Yogg and two Undying Creatures, it's just a win condition on its own where you just make plants that are, you know, 12, 13s and attack your opponent with them. Um, but I can see it being a situation where in games it sits on the board and does nothing. And that's my that's my biggest concern. So I'm going to test the heck out of it and hopefully be able to provide all of my my subscribers with the intel before they have to play the RC in Denver. But uh it definitely seems like it fills that slot of like not really necessarily having the highest floor, but having a pretty high ceiling if it's going off. And you kind of talked about multiple times now how you're kind of building oppositionally to that when you're approaching the Ogmoth deck to have more consistency, right? Exactly. So we'll to see how that slots in in that regard. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Next, we want to let you know that the Bold Zone is excited to be partnering with our new friends over at Heavy Play. Heavy Play is a card gaming accessories brand built to improve your gameplay and game day experience with their lineup of high quality products. Their playmats, deck boxes, and sleeves feature enhanced ergonomics, mobility, and protection for your collection. One of my favorite things about Heavy Play's gear is their Equip Mag system. This is really unique, really helps their products stand out from a lot of the other things on the market. Um, the deck boxes, the playmats, they feature super strong magnets that let you basically snap everything together, carry it all in one hand. This is super convenient. You know, if you just want to pick up a pile and move to your next table between rounds, you want to stick your deck box to your playmat and not have it sliding around during play. Um, really cool features there, and it's something that I've really enjoyed. I've been using their playmat and deck boxes a lot recently they feel super premium and durable i really appreciate that on game day and uh, i get compliments on them all the time so that's something i have really enjoyed about heavy play 
Um, if you want to check out some heavy play gear for yourself, you can ask about it at your LGS or check out their website at heavyplay.com. If you use the promo code BTB10, you get 10% off your entire first order and you help support the show in the process. So head over there, let the heavy play guys know that we sent you and get 10% off your first order with BTB10 at checkout. And lastly, be sure to look out for Heavy Play in their booth at the Denver Regional Championship coming up next month and also Magic Con Chicago next month. Um, The guys are great. Have a conversation with them. Try the products out for yourself. You don't want to miss these. And again, you don't have to wait. You can check out the website at heavyplay.com and shop the full lineup of products there. Use promo code BTB10. Get 10% off your first order and help support the Bolt Zone. Let's go ahead next and talk about... Um, some mulliganing with this deck, and then also sort of Yawgmoth's place in the meta. So, Brandon, I know one thing you talk about quite a bit is, is how important mulligans are with Yawgmoth. So could you just tell us sort of, obviously it's different in every matchup and it's contextual, but um, on a high level, what is your sort of best advice for for the mulligans with this deck and and how to optimize that? So... I'll try to be concise with my my answer here, but you know, you essentially with this deck have Yogmoth's bargain in the deck. So if you can assemble that combination or just get a Yogmoth in play, your ability to recoup card advantage is very high. So this deck, I would say mulligans fairly well. You can go down to six cards and you know not miss a beat, and sometimes even five cards and still fairly easily win the game if you have a Yawgmoth on turn three or turn four. So for that reason, in a lot of matchups, it's really important to be mulliganing aggressively to cards that uh, give you the best chance in the matchup, you know, to to put it simply. So I, I will mulligan pretty liberally with this deck and pretty aggressively depending on the matchup that I'm playing against. And oftentimes your mulligan decision at the beginning of the game, and this applies probably across the board in modern, but for this deck especially, if you're not making the right mulligan decisions, your win rate's probably going to be 10 to 15% lower than what it should be. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting point, and I think something that, that probably gets overlooked a lot with this deck, and earlier you had mentioned like the difference in someone who like really knows the deck inside and out versus someone who's just kind of playing it at a, at a lower level and the win rate variance of that and everything the mulligan is a big part of it so what can you do if you're you know newer to this deck what can you do to sort of improve your mulligan decisions where can you kind of start with that so i would definitely point people towards a resource that's available um a good friend of mine zerk a lot of people know him as the uh the modern challenge goat uh (laughs) He has a primer on Yawgmoth, and he explains how to to make mulligan decisions in the blind with this deck. And he's basically systematized it, where cards have a value, and if your opening hand exceeds a certain value, you can keep a hand. And if a card, if your cards are below the value, you mulligan the hand. So it, it makes it really, really easy for somebody that's new to the deck to have an understanding of okay, these are hands that I keep, and these are hands that I mulligan. Um, so I would I would recommend. Uh, he, I think you, Zerk has a Patreon. You could always head over there. I'm sure that that asset is available there. And uh, that would be my recommendation to familiarize yourself with Zerk's mulligan rule and utilize that first and foremost when you're you're learning the ropes. 
that I would say applies in the blind. When you're new to the deck, you have a little bit more freedom and a little bit more uh, ability to take some creative license as you get more familiar with the <laughs> matchups and how you want to leverage the cards in your hand. But initially, I'd say that's a good place to start. Well, speaking of matchups, we don't have time to get too, too deep into this, but I do just want to sort of talk about some of the more popular matchups, especially with the the regional championships coming up um, and sort of how Yawgmoth lines up sort of against the top five decks. And then just maybe a quick note on like the rest of the field, which I know is very broad, but briefly, let's just run through in no particular order, Scam, Rhinos, Murktide, Amulet, and the Mirror as sort of like the most five popular decks that we're seeing right now. Um, and I'll let you pick which one you want to start with. Okay, we can just go in the order that, that you said them. It makes it easy enough so sure. we can... Yeah, I'll, let's do it. I'll follow along here. So Scam, I think historically people have thought of it as a unfavored matchup for Yawgmoth. And I might not be the best person to ask these questions because I think Yawgmoth is 70-30 in every matchup. Uh, well, when you're when you're winning uh, <laughs> all your games, yeah. <laughs> but uh, scam, it's changed a lot recently, and I think scam. They're still trying to figure out what the best build is post Fury ban. I know some people have been moving more into a mid range shell with more lands and more shieldreds, and other people are moving in more of an aggro direction with Inti. So it certainly depends on which version you're playing against. But I would say against a competent pilot, two people who know what they're doing, you're probably pretty close to 50-50. The hands or the games that you lose against Scam are most often the ones where it's turn one grief scam, which is going to happen less consistently now, into a turn two threat. And the worst of which is, is going to be a Dothy Voidwalker. So oftentimes if that's the curve, and I think that's probably the case most decks for everything <laughs> yeah yeah um if that's their one into their two uh you're probably losing that game but if it's just a grief you can a lot of times claw your way back into those games just because we have so many creatures that are good at blocking and if you can get a grist or a yawgmoth in play you can turn things around pretty quickly so it's a close matchup it feels bad when you lose to scam and once again i think everybody probably feels that way um, but if you're navigating it correctly you should be at 50% or above, I would say. In terms of role evaluation in the matchup, where do you see Yawgmoth's role, whether it's to be like more of a control deck in the matchup? And this also sort of speaks to how long you want games to be and how often you're winning drawn-out games versus games that end quickly. Um, curious to hear as you go through these matchups where you see Yawgmoth's role typically. And of course, it's a mid-range deck that shifts, but from a baseline perspective... Um, Particularly versus Scam, now that it doesn't have Fury, um, how does the long game look for Yawgmoth in this matchup? I think that's a, a really good question. Uh, so I'm glad you asked me. And I would say in, in most games, Yawgmoth fills more of the control role against Scam. Uh, Scam tends to get rid of our early threats, our early creatures with their removal. And usually we're kind of scrambling to stabilize things. And, and when we do, it's usually at a life total that's less than 10. So you can't leverage Yawgmoth in the way that you would want to in a lot of instances with Scam, and that's where Yawg's second line of text, the proliferate text, really comes into play in this matchup. And you'll notice that in matchups where the combo kill is not as viable, uh, that ability gets used more often. So I would definitely classify Yawgmoth as more of the control deck in that matchup, and it's just early game you know, scramble to stabilize as much as possible. 
and then start proliferating and take over the game in the in the late game. That's great. The card you mentioned is Douthy Voidwalker is obviously, you know, a, a big card in this matchup. Any specific tips for sort of navigating around that card? That's a tough one. <laughs> navigate around it. <laughs> Fatal or push in hand. Yeah. Navigate around it or navigate through it is basically. But so when you're playing in scam, obviously you need to be aware of the fact that there could be undying effects. So if you're trying to kill something like a void walker into open mana, it doesn't always work out. So a lot of times I will bide my time until I see an opportunity where I just have to make a move on the card and get rid of it. Um, but you definitely don't want them to, you know, you don't want a two for one yourself or, or something of that sort, uh, trying to get rid of it. But one of the ways you can get rid of it with little consequences, put with, with Yawgmoth, put a minus one counter on it and then proliferate. And what that allows you the opportunity to do is if your opponent has a response, they have to do so before the pr proliferate ability resolves. So if they're going to put an undying evil or, you know, whatever the card is, um, on the Voidwalker, they have to do that before proliferate resolves. If they do that, you do nothing. You don't proliferate it up. Uh, if they don't do anything, you're free to proliferate and kill the Voidwalker. So that's something that happens fairly often, especially if there's multiple Voidwalkers on the table. Um, you can minus it with Yogg, shoot it down with the Bowmaster, minus Grist. Uh, but it is definitely their paramount threat, with maybe the exception of Shieldred. And it requires an answer fairly quickly if we're going to execute and maximize our game plan. One thing Great. about the scam deck that is interesting versus Yawgmoth is they used to be able to, like we talked about with Fury, try to grind through your threats. And now it seems like they're trying to push past them. And I kind of like framing it as a, in terms of where does Yawgmoth stand now before they could maybe just present some threats and if their board became too wide it would actually be susceptible to fury and such but now it seems like oh man like as the scam player i have to get their life total down because at some point you're going to get a yogmoth through the cracks and if you're at a high life total when that happens like the game is not looking great so i love to see when these changes happen to the metagame and a matchup sort of swings on the factors it previously was reliant on and especially as someone who's played a decent amount of scam against Yawgmoth. It's cool to see that you have to completely reevaluate the framing of what hands are good in this matchup now and what does that look like with only, you know, four to six cards being changed for your shelf. It's it's really strange too with the changes. You know, you would expect a card like Fury to just be game over against a deck like Yawgmoth, but the deck is super resilient. And I would actually suggest that the matchup was better before before Fury got banned than it is now. And there's, I think, two reasons for that. Um, one, you were playing around it and you knew what you were playing around. And the fact that there's a little bit of an unknown with regards to how the deck is built or how Scam is, is developing could be one thing. And the other thing is because Scam was just such a large portion of the metagame, a lot of our, our sideboard was devoted towards it. And particularly this card called Elven Chorus, some people ran the one ring in that slot. But if you resolved that card on turn three or four against scam it was game over there they just lost but now because it's not 25 percent of the metagame there's not as much of an incentive to run a card like that out of the sideboard and i actually think the matchup is harder now than it was before fury got banned 
is that coupled with people playing curse totems in the shell that you talked about where they're not susceptible to force of vigors and it's just sort of awkward for your for your boarding in haywire mites or other cards that could potentially answer i mean that doesn't even work sorry not even haywire might like you have to use a besage you if you want like how do you frequently answer that when you know now they're deciding i'm going to respect yogmoth much more that's also something to think about from my end of like when a deck changes the metagame like uh fury getting banned suddenly they have to respect this matchup that they previously thought was pretty good if you were a scam player and now they're playing extremely narrow but effective cards yeah and i think cody would agree with me we don't want to play reclamation and sage in our sideboard but we know we, <laughs> we don't we kind of <laughs> have you to. could play something so much better <laughs> but that's the answer any deck with totem we're bringing in rec sage and it's you know essentially post board against scam you're going to have you know three to four copies of that because you're cutting cords in the matchup but uh, that's that's essentially our answer in addition to Besageo. That makes sense. Yep. Okay, uh, let's talk about one of, one of if not maybe the toughest matchups in, in this set of five here in Rhinos. Brandon, what are your thoughts on this matchup? This is one that, that I've had a lot of trouble with personally, and there's a lot of different ways to sort of think about it and attack it, so I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. Rhinos is definitely, from the Yawgmoth perspective, the most feared deck. Uh, it is... If they're doing their thing, uh, you know, a turn one removal or turn two ice into a turn three rhinos or cascade spell into rhinos, it's a really hard position to come back from, especially if you're on the draw in the matchup. The biggest thing about the rhinos, like our, our deck, Yawgmoth, chump blocks really, really well. We have these undying creatures. We have wall of roots. We have token generation. We can get in front of opposing creatures and do so very effectively. The problem with rhinos is those creatures have trample, which makes it very, very difficult to stabilize your life total, which is such an important asset for this deck. And as a result, a lot of times when you stick a Yawgmoth, you can't leverage it the way that you would want to because you're at three life or something along those lines. So with the rhinos matchup, it's really a matter of one, just get stuff in their way to, to, protect your life total. And Wall of Roots is the best early game option for that. Play out a wall, don't down tick it, and just keep it there as a blocker. Two, you have to make them have it. Uh, they attack into my Wall of Roots, I'm going to block. And if you've got the Violent Outburst to kill my wall, you've got it, or the Fire Ice. But they don't always have it. So that's two. Three is Establish Yawgmoth. So I guess if we're, we're going bullet points here, Establish Yawgmoth. And then four you're not combo killing most of the time in this matchup. You're going to, you know, sacrifice both of your undying creatures, put a counter on two rhinos, and then you're going to start proliferating. And that's really the avenue that most games or matches are won in this matchup. Um, through proliferating and just minimizing the threat on the other side of the table. Uh, having access to sideboard cards helps a lot. Uh, so something like Legion's End wipes their rhinos off the board. Chalice obviously is a, a very good way of slowing them down. And when I think of those cards, I don't think of them as a permanent solution to the problem, but more as an opportunity for me to establish what I'm trying to do. And if I can establish w my game plan in that I'm getting a Yawgmoth on the field, you can resolve all the rhinos you want. If I'm at 14 life, I don't care. Like I'll, I'll deal with those very, very easily. But if my life total is pressured and I can't slow you down and I can't establish my board, it's it's a bad day for Yawgmoth. 
Yeah. Is there any matchup that you would fear more than playing against Rhinos, or do you feel at this point that like you understand how to play against it, and just due to playing a lot against Rhinos, like it's not so bad? I mean, like you described the Nutra, I don't really know what repercussions, at least in game one, you can really have as Yawgmoth. On the draw, there's not much you can do. Uh, it's it's really you know if there's four Rhinos on turn four, you might as well just pack it up and go home. To be honest. Um, but you know, on wow. the on the play, you can contest with that. On the draw, it's really, 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 really hard, especially if they have interaction in the first two turns of the game. So, with that being said, I think the matchup has improved since Fury was banned. You know, kind of conversely to what I feel about Scam, you know, them not having access to that free removal to wipe your board is really big. And Tidebinder, even though it does interact, I don't think it's as strong as people think it is against our deck. Now that everybody's aware of the card, uh, Tashana's Tidebinder to be specific, the ability for Yawgmoth to play around that card is very easy. And a lot of times I think Rhino's players, maybe if they're less experienced or don't have a good comprehension of the matchup, will leave that up to deal with Yawgmoth instead of adding to their board with Rhino's. So if you're a Rhino's player, close your ears, please. Uh, (laughs) But you know, I'm going to be playing around that card 100 out of 100 times, so it's really easy to navigate that if that's what their their game plan is. Yeah, so I guess in this matchup, you know, being that it is the worst, what is sort of your counterplay of choice from, you know, the many options that are out there? What do you think is the most effective? Uh, first, you're going to be a girl, uh, mulliganing fairly aggressively post-sideboard. Uh, you need to find a way to slow them down. So my current preferred means of doing so is I'm in a couple hand disruptions. So Thoughtseize is I usually, I'm currently running two in my th- on my sideboard and Chalice of the Void or Solus Jailer. And they do have plenty of answers to those cards. They're likely bringing in Force of Vigor. They have Flame of Venora. They have Besaju. They have answers to those cards. But if they're spending their turn three doing so, that's the window I need to establish Yawgmoth or establish my game plan and take over the game. So that's really what it comes down to. Chalice is probably the best, uh, followed by Solus Jailer because it's a tutorable way to shut down Cascade. And then everything else beyond that is just, you know, if I have something else, great. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, any other thoughts on Rhinos before we move on? Um, no, I, 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 like I said, I think the matchup's improved. So... I don't think it's as scary as it once was, and it's very, very winnable now from the Yawgmoth perspective without Fury. I had one last question. Are you playing a copy of, is it called Necroplasm? Is that the card that <laughs> destroys all Rhino? It is. Do you play that card on your sideboard? I do not. I have played it, I've tested it before. Uh, it is definitely very narrow, and it is uh, not not particularly strong in my mind. I would prefer something like Legion's End, which has applications in multiple matchups and can still wipe the board. Um, even something like Filigree Silex or Engineered Explosives would, in my mind, be a better option because it's it applies to a wider range of matchups. Got it. Yeah, for those not familiar, I believe Necroplasm says the beginning of your end step, destroy all creatures with CMC equal to the number of counters on it as a three drop for one black black. And so it has no counters on it and you kill all of their rhinos and you can do so repeatedly, but there's obviously some narrowness, like you said, and also the issue with it being that if they have violent outbursts, they can get a hit in before that actually works. So 
that's some tension too. Yeah, necroplasm is fun, but I don't think it's actually good. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about Merc Titan next. So this one's obviously <clears throat> lots of interaction. It's an interesting, I think, pretty skill testing matchup. You had a video about this recently talking about it, but what are your thoughts on, on Merc Titan? This is probably my favorite matchup to play with Yawgmoth because it is very interactive and, and dynamic. I think from both sides of the table, there's a lot to consider and a lot going on. The matchup is really contingent upon two things. And I, I tried to simplify this for new pilots in my video. You know, Merktide's biggest asset is their graveyard. So first and foremost, when you're playing from the Yawgmoth perspective, you need to limit the cards that are going into their graveyard, whether that means you're not jamming cards into counter spells or you know you're you're limiting it with cauldron you're limiting it with endurance some way shape or form you need to slow down their ability to fill up their graveyard so that's that's number one from the augmoth perspective number two and i i would imagine this probably applies for most decks but for yogmoth we have the ability to really limit their tempo i, I consider murktide a tempo-based strategy uh, and I know that word is contentious upon uh, within the magic community, but this is kind of the the way that I frame the matchup. So if you're making plays and they are tempo positive for your opponent, you are likely going to be losing the matchup. So from a play perspective, if you have a board state, you don't need to do anything. You just sit there and wait for them to do something. And then when they do, that gives you the opportunity to double spell or cast one of your flash threats. Uh, or bait a counterspell with one of your flash threats, which include Bowmaster's Endurance and Court of Calling. And then one of your more meaningful spells can resolve on your turn cycle. So it's it's very, it requires a lot of patience to play the matchup, and it requires a deep understanding of what they're trying to do to really be successful consistency, consistently with, with Yawgmoth in the matchup. And personally, I think, I do think, Yogg is favored in the matchup, but against a good pilot, it can be very, very challenging. Yeah, I think that those are all very good points. Um, all right, how about amulets? What are your thoughts there? Because this is a, a, a fast sort of racing matchup, especially in game one. But what are your thoughts here? Is it sort of the same theory like with rhinos that you want to just like slow them down and, and then set yourself up? Or what are your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, game one, you're definitely a dog. Uh, win the die roll is my best advice in game one. Uh, you know, yeah, find your haywire might, something along those lines. Um, post sideboard, this is the deck we're probably bringing in the most cards against, and they they are very impactful in the matchup. So obviously, force of vigor is a haymaker. A good amulet player will play around it, um, but just having access to that is really important to slow them down. Um, like you suggested, establish our game plan and take over the game. Uh, and post sideboard, we just have so many points of interaction. And the, the real haymaker against them is uh, the Fulminator Mage is in the sideboard, also against Tron. Uh, establishing Fulminator plus an Agatha's Soul Cauldron is just good game. It just, just ends the match, the game, whatever you want to say. They can't beat that. If they don't have an answer, they're dead. And, and that's kind of what the game plan has has moved or the direction the game plan has moved since the printing of cauldron uh is just establish that two card combo and just stone rain them out of the game 
one of my favorite ways to win. It's, it's so disgusting. It's very gratifying. I will say that. Yeah. Do you think that Grist and Yogmoth are sort of secondary in this matchup, or how do you view their roles as cards that don't necessarily interact super well with Amulet's primary game plan? It's like this to me feels like one matchup where maybe your central eight threats here aren't always as effective. Of course, Yogmoth being you know the namesake of the deck can't still has a pretty high floor, but it seems to me like maybe games play out a little bit differently, um, particularly you know in post board games where you're adding in a lot of interaction too. Yeah, Grist most definitely is is not where you want to be in this matchup. You know, you're getting attacked by a, an eight six hasty primeval titan. Grist is not going to hold down the fort too well. Uh, Yogmoth, the biggest value of having Yogmoth in the deck. If you're playing Hepatra, it can be a very viable option to manage what they're doing. But if not, Yogmoth really what it does is it digs and it finds you your sideboard cards. And generating that card advantage and then having the answers to what they're doing is really Yogmoth's role in the matchup. You're you're usually not combo killing. It's usually just control what they're doing and then attacking for the win. Um, or, you know, sometimes you do combo kill through like a ring if that's how they're spending their turn. But yeah, Yogg is just, it's card advantage basically in the matchup. So you are sort of treating it as you're the control deck. You need to draw your sideboard cards. I'll just accumulate resources with Yogg Moth. And eventually I have multiple ways of shutting down the amulet deck from winning, which, you know, seems like a good place to be, especially with Soul Cauldron just being this way of instantly winning if you assemble it plus Fulminator. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You are definitely the control deck in this matchup. Yogg is pedal to the metal and we need to stop them from doing that uh last one here in the top five the mirror this one is is interesting to say the least what are your thoughts on the mirror a little more dynamic now that cauldron is in the equation it used to just be y'all whoever gets their yogmoth first wins the game or if you can necromentia which is a card that used to be played in the sideboards if you can necromentia their yogmoths you probably win the game now with Cauldron, you have the ability to kill their Yogmoth, eat it with a Cauldron. Now you have a Yog. Or, you know, if you get a Grist under the Cauldron, that can just swarm and overwhelm their board state as well. So it's definitely more dynamic than previously and more interesting than it used to be. Uh, with that being said, what I described used to be the case can certainly still happen. Uh, you know, it's a, a turn three or turn four Yogmoth is very hard to beat if you don't have one of your own. The ultimately, the matchup, I would say, is very contingent upon you understanding sequencing with your deck and knowing timing associated with playing your cards. So for instance, the two cards that are probably the most important in that respect are going to be Orcish Bowmaster. The, or the first Orcish Bowmaster is always the worst, but Orcish Bowmaster is a saying that I like. It's a so, good heuristic. I, I will say that. And then um, the other card that's very relevant is Court of Calling. So sometimes you can court for a Yawgmoth, but it's not the correct move. Oftentimes you let them put a spell on the stack, for instance, their own Yawgmoth, and then you'll court in response and blow them out by wiping their board. So I call it setting traps. And those two cards are the best cards at doing so. And it's really an important part of winning the matchup uh, if you do want to do so. You know, if you want to have a win rate more than 50-50, you need to be thinking about those things and and finding ways to put your opponent in situations where they 
will be down cards and uh, out of resources. Yeah, that that perspective is really interesting and resonates with me. That's like the whole setting traps idea. And that's one of my biggest thoughts in the back of my head whenever I'm trying to play at a high level. And I feel like it's something that as I've gotten better as a player has helped me gain an advantage in a a lot of situations. So that's definitely interesting to think about in this matchup. The Bold Zone is also brought to you by BoogieBoard, the ultimate LCD life pad. BoogieBoard's patented reusable writing surface lets you track life totals, jot down quick notes during casual or competitive play. Never worry about ruining a notebook in your bag or running out of paper. After taking down your opponent, you just press the button to clear. You're ready to start over. Infinite life tracking. This is a really great product. I use it every time I play. Um, it's something I, I can't imagine playing without. Boogie Board's best-selling Jot tablet offers plenty of writing surface. The Jot Pocket is perfect for tighter playing spaces. And you can find Boogie Board at friendly local game stores across the country and at major retailers. You can learn more about it at myboogieboard.com games. Never start a match without your Boogie Board. Well, we are running low on time, so I think we're going to skip the conversation of the rest of the field. Um, If you want to learn more about that, you can uh, head over to Brandon's Patreon and learn about everything you want to know about Yawgmoth. But before we head out, Brandon, any any special tips and tricks you can share with us? Any any things that people might not know? Any cool lines? Anything you want to tell us about the deck before we head out? The biggest thing I would say is if you're picking up the deck. Uh, first and foremost, don't get discouraged in the beginning if you're learning how to play and pilot the deck. I, you know, personally, my win rate when I first started the deck is about fifteen percent lower than it is now. Um, I track my stats and I'm aware of, of you know how much I'm winning and what I'm winning against. And it is a difficult deck to learn on the front end if you don't just if you're not you know a world champion. You're, you're probably, uh, it's going to take you some time to get, to get the hang of it. So don't get discouraged when you're first picking up the deck. It rewards familiarity with your deck, uh, but especially rewards familiarity with the format. So you need to have an understanding of how your opponents are trying to attack your deck to really leverage and use the cards to the best ability. So that would be two pieces of advice. And then the third, I would say, is learn how to mulligan with the deck. Uh, that's that's what's going to take you that extra 5% from you know a 60-something percent win rate to a 70-something percent win, uh, win rate is really understanding you know, how you do so in different matchups and uh, just in general, hands you should be keeping and hands you should be mulliganing. Any sort of uh, recommendations, last-minute tips for those planning to play Yawgmoth and in, in RC over the next few weeks? Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, uh, check out my Patreon if you have not done so already. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm not qualified for the RC. I didn't play in any RCQs and I have made it my mission to help other people succeed in their RC journey. So um, I have, I can't even tell you how many assets there to help you better understand how to play the deck, better understand how to play different matchups. I don't want this to be an ad read, but uh, I really I've made it my mission to help people playing the deck and and succeed with the deck. So hopefully that's what people are getting out of that. The second thing is don't get hung up on you know single card choices or or necessarily every small detail of how your deck is built. Focus on learning to play the deck to your best to the best of your abilities. And I think a lot of people 
you know, they obsess over the minutia with this deck. Is it Hapatra or Second Geist? Is it Zulaport or Blood Artist? You know, is it one card in my sideboard versus another? Really, the thing that's going to help you succeed is learning to play the deck well. And those card choices are likely not going to be the difference between you going and making a top eight or a top 16 and uh, scrubbing out of the tournament. Uh, the other thing, which is something I do, and if you guys are producing a lot of content, you might do so as well, but I'm very fortunate in that I have the ability to look back at every match I play and review it um, because I'm editing everything and I'm constantly going through everything with a fine tooth, tooth comb. So try to learn something from your losses and grow as a player as a result of that. And don't just chalk it up to bad luck or um, variance. There's always something you can do different with this deck, whether it's sequencing your lands or your mulligan decisions or timing with your spells. Analyze those things and really put them under a microscope and you'll improve with the deck. Uh, if you're making excuses, you're you're not going to get there, unfortunately. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that with with every deck. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. One thing that you spoke to there, Brandon, is just like looking back at how you navigated a game and trying to review from your losses and learn from them can oftentimes be more valuable than just jamming more games and jamming your head against a wall. And this is something that I focus on a lot when I'm coaching and practicing, and I'm sure that you talk about a lot in your own pursuits around teaching people. And it's really important for you to be able to look at how you're navigating a game and examine one match or game really closely rather than trying to spend a ton of time getting infinite reps. And of course, there's some threshold you want to reach just so you can understand the common play patterns. But I love the focus on making sure you're getting good practice rather than just having a lot of reps purely on online and grinding. So I appreciate your input there a lot. Yeah, you you said it better than I did. Agreed. All right. Well, Brandon, we appreciate you coming on. It's been a, a really good time and enjoyable to talk about the deck with you. You heard it from him. You're going to hear it from me too. Go sign up for the Patreon over there, uh, patreon.com slash control four days. Definitely a great resource if you want to get better with this deck. Um, where else can people find you at? Uh, I have a, a YouTube channel as well. You can uh, definitely check that out. It's a split between uh, a lot of y'all content, which I did a lot of when I first started the page. Um, all of my shorts are like level one frequently asked questions about the deck. So you can definitely check that out if you have some just general questions about playing Yawgmoth. And then more recently, the deck is more fun brews uh, or the the page is more fun brews and and just I try to make really high quality content. So if you're, you're looking for such a, some fun, modern content, my YouTube page has, has a, a lot of it. Awesome. Thank well, you thank so you much. again. Yeah, it was awesome having you on the show. And uh, I really learned a lot about the deck as well. So that was awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys. And I'm sorry if I was a little long winded. I can talk about this deck for for days. So uh, I appreciate you having no, me on. No apologies. It's great. It was fun. And uh, Nathan, nice meeting you. Congrats. Nice meeting you as well. Congrats on all your successes. And Cody, good luck at the RC. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I'll, I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> I'll see you on Monday. All, all right, right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoy the show, please give us a follow, leave a review. We read all of them. Love to hear from you. And until next time, get out there and sling some spells. <laughs>